Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Based off of our experience and opinion, according to the Bible, is it God's will that we prosper? Yes. Can you say yes? Man, in and out, we've just we've examined so many angles of this through the scripture. And so today, I'm going to begin to continue on the same thre- uh, train of thought, but I want to answer a question. How do we access prosperity? So it's important that you understand what Jesus did what he paid for, but then the second question you should ask is, how do I personally access the things that Jesus paid for, right? We're going to get into that this morning. Lord, I thank you for this word. Holy Ghost, I thank you that you are present here this morning, that you are in us, that you are among us, that the river flows through this church. I pray, Lord, I ask you right now, help me teach this message. Lord, let it, let it be received with people that have ears to hear that are hungry and thirsty for wisdom and knowledge. And I declare that they shall be filled, and that if they receive this word this morning, it will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold in their lives. In Jesus' name, I denounce that religious devil. I renounce any demonic stronghold that would veil and shield a person's eyes from seeing or a person's ears from hearing. You get out of here now, devil, and you loose any person that you have in your grip so that they may hear the word of God this morning. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen. Amen. I want to talk to you first about atonement, different atonements. The word atonement basically means making right what was wronged. Making right what was wrong. The different things that Jesus made right that were wrong. Adam did certain things, Adam sinned, and and certain things were made wrong in the world, and Jesus came, and he set right what Adam had made wrong, right? So there's there's different atonements, and I want to break down three specifically this morning. This is in Psalms 105, 36 through 37. Psalms 105, 36 through 37. You need to understand... In Psalms 105, this is David speaking, and he's, he's, he's giving revelation about what happened when God led Israel out of Egypt. When God split the Red Sea, and Moses, anybody ever heard of Moses, came into Egypt and released the plagues and delivered the Israelites. This is David speaking, giving revelation about that event. So you need to understand that all throughout the Old Testament, there were types and shadows of Jesus who was to come. Joshua was a type of Jesus, right? He was the he was Joshua. Jesus' name in the Hebrew is Yeshua. He led them into the promised land. Moses was a type of Jesus. He came and rescued his people from Egypt, a type of the world, and brought them and led them into, well, ultimately he didn't, but he was leading them into the promised land. Amen. He delivered his people from that Babylonian system, that Egyptian system system of the world, transferred them, as the Bible says, he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So all of that was a picture of Christ. Amen. Why is that important? 
because you understand this, that there's different things that happen in that first Passover in Psalms 105, 36 through 37. I'm going to show you this is the full gospel message in one verse. This is the full gospel message in one verse. It says, he destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold. Say silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. Hallelujah. There's three things here. If you you have a highlighter, highlight that first part. He destroyed the firstborn of their land, silver and gold, none feeble. This is the full gospel message in two verses. So I'm going to break this down into three parts. The different atonements or the full gospel message. Number one, I want you to say saved. So it says he destroyed all the firstborn in their land. Well, as you, if you've ever studied the, the Passover or the Exodus, the night of Passover, God gave Moses instructions to give to the Israelites. He said, in the middle of the night, I'm going to come and an angel of death is going to come through Egypt. And he will destroy the firstborn of every house, right? But he said, this is what I want you to do. Take a lamb that's pure and spotless without blemish. You need to slaughter the lamb and then take the blood and apply it over the doorposts. So whenever God sent that angel of death who came through the land of Egypt, those that had the blood over the doorposts were saved from death, right? That was a type and picture of the blood of Jesus Christ applied to us separates us, makes distinction of us. The devil can't touch us. Do you know the Bible actually says that, that the son holds us securely in his hand and the evil one touches us not? When you come underneath the blood of Jesus, you're not like everyone else anymore. The devil, and we'll talk about this more extensively, the devil doesn't just get to do whatever the H-E-C-K he wants to do to you anymore. Hallelujah. You're saved by the blood. Say the blood. So not only were they saved when, that, when the angel came and destroyed all the firstborn in their land, it says after, right? So everybody that applied that blood went inside, they were saved that night, and then afterwards, it says he escorted them, he brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Say the word feeble. Feeble, the definition of feeble, it literally means weakness, Due to old age or illness. Weakness due to old age or illness. So guess what? When God led the Israelites out of Egypt, he removed weakness from them. He removed the effects of old age from them. He removed sickness and disease. There was none that were sick among them. All feebleness, all weakness due to old age or illness. Well, How did God do this? Well, if you study the Passover, again, it's not really the point of my message. I'm getting to something, but you got to stay with me. He gave them two instructions. He said, take that lamb and, and slaughter it and apply the blood on the doorposts. But then the second instruction, which most of the church has never taught, he said, take the flesh of that lamb, roast it, and eat it with unleavened bread and salad greens. And so that night, they went inside their homes and they ate the flesh of the lamb. Say the flesh of the lamb. What happened when they ate the flesh of the lamb? All feebleness, weakness due to old age or illness was removed from them. And that next morning when they came out of their homes, they were strong, they were healthy, they were well, and they were escorted out of Egypt into the promise of God. 
type and shadow of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So you got saved. You got healed. Number three, we miss this a lot. This isn't taught, but I would need you to get this. He brought them out with silver and gold. Hallelujah. Say silver and gold. Say prosperity. He took the wealth of the world, the wealth of Egypt, stripped it from the Egyptians, and gave it to his people and led them out of the world system. This is the full gospel. This is what the Bible teaches you've received in Christ. Come on, somebody. Amen. You've been saved. You've been healed. And he's broken the back of poverty, the curse of poverty off of us. We've received prosperity. Say prosperity. Now, again, we could teach on any of those three things, but this series is specifically focused on prosperity. Is it God's will that I prosper? And I want to teach you how to access that, but to further illustrate this point, you say, John, is that just one verse that you're picking out of context? No, look at John 10.10. John 10.10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, say life, and that you may have it more abundantly. You know, people say, well, he came to give us life and life abundantly. You have to understand what that word life actually means. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, with a bunch of little weird symbols above the, because the, it's not written in English, but zoe. It means this, the definition of that word life, say life. It means the absolute fullness of life. It means this. It actually, part of the definition means the God kind of life. Say the God kind of life. Kenneth Hagin taught John 10.10, the God kind of life. What do you think about that? So Jesus said, I, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have the God kind of life and have it abundantly. What's the God kind of life? You know who had a God kind of life? Well, before Jesus, who had a God kind of life? Say Adam. Adam. Before the curse, before there was sin, God made Adam in his likeness and in his image, and he lived on the earth and had a God kind of life. So basically, what, what was Jesus actually saying this? This means, he said, I have come to restore life means restoring man to Adam before the curse kind of life. Hallelujah. Jesus came to give mankind the God kind of life. This means restoring man to Adam before the curse kind of life. So Jesus came to simplify that, to restore us to the position Adam was in before the curse and sin ever entered into the world. That should blow your mind. You know, you could ask yourself the question, was there sickness in the Garden of Eden? No, there wasn't. Was there poverty? Was there lack? No. There was no curse. There was no curse. The curse was pronounced in Genesis chapter 3. Adam didn't even have to blood, sweat, and toil for provision. Adam acted as God. He just simply spoke, just like God spoke, let there be light. Adam used his faith and his authority on the earth to possess and inherit all things. Come on, somebody. This is good. That word... Life is the word Zoe. So, okay, let's look at another one. He, uh, Romans 10, 9. So Jesus said, I came to give you the God kind of life. Romans 10, 9. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Say saved. Everybody throws that term saved around. They don't even really know what the word means. That word saved is the Greek word sozo. Sozo is used. Let me give you an example. I'll show you some examples of this, but the word sozo can be interchanged with the word saved. It can be interchanged with the word delivered. It can be interchanged with the word whole. It can be interchanged with the word healed. Say healed. Give you an example. So say sozo. Matthew 9:22. Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, "Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole." Say whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. That was the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Do you know what word is used there when he said whole? Sozo. Say sozo. It's the same word that says believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be sozo. It literally means healing of your physical body. Hallelujah. Your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you whole. Mark 10, 52, Jesus said to him, this was blind Bartimaeus, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. He has made, your faith has saved you, Bartimaeus. But guess what? When Jesus said your faith has saved you, same word, he wasn't just saying you get to go to heaven one day. Guess what? Bartimaeus' eyes began to work when they couldn't work before. Why? Because of sozo, because of salvation. It's not just heaven. It's a restoration of all things. Jesus gives you salvation. It means forgiveness. It means deliverance. It means healing. It means wholeness and restoration of all things. Hallelujah. That excites the heck out of me. So, Three atonements I want to talk about. We just covered them, but I'm going to give you another breakdown. Here's the three atonements of Jesus Christ. Number one, forgiveness of sin. If you're taking notes, write this down, forgiveness of sin. The three things Jesus made right, the three things Jesus purchased. Number one, forgiveness of sin. Matthew 9, 1 through 6, Jesus climbed into a boat, and it says he went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think that he's God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Say forgiveness of sin. So this is, you know, this is kind of off, not off topic, but this wasn't in my notes or anything. But this verse is amazing because this man came to be healed. Did he not? He came to be healed. But yet Jesus, instead of healing him, he looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. Was Jesus confused? No, he wasn't confused at all. Why would Jesus interchange healing with forgiveness of sin, healing with salvation? Because he paid a price equally for both of them. 
They are both included in salvation. They're both included in sozo. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Okay, so he forgives our sins. Number two, what did Jesus purchase our healing? Say healing. If you want to know more about these things, we just did like a six-week-long series on is it God's will that I'm healed? And, and we broke down through the Bible, angle after angle after angle on hearing. Go, go back to the podcast, Facebook, YouTube. If you want, I can put that in a, in a CD or disc form to you, too. If you just want to get that in your heart and get that before your eyes, I'll provide that for anybody. But he purchased our healing. Matthew 8, 16 through 17. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out evil spirits with a simple command. Say simple command. You know, this is not really on the topic, but you need to understand as a believer your authority that's been given to you. Jesus didn't dance and go in a boxing ring, and, you know, we see pictures of Jesus arm wrestling the devil like there's a fight. No, he has complete authority. He rebuked the spirits with a simple command. Jesus didn't go up to pray someone and say, Father God, I thank you, Father God, right now in, in my name I ask. He didn't play some kind of religious hokey pokey. He just said, come out right now. And they came out with a very simple command. Hallelujah. It's not hard to get the devil to flee. It's not hard to get dominion and power and make right what's going wrong. Say simple command. People are like, man, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. You know, sometimes if you're over praying about it, <laughs> honestly, you're in unbelief. You say, John, how does that work? I'm, if I'm constantly praying about this thing, how am I un in unbelief? Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, you shall have it. Can I tell you something? You don't keep praying about something that you believe you've already received. That's right. It's Who said it? It's working. It's working. If you ever have a thought, you make a decree, you, you establish something on the earth, and every time you have a thought about that again, you don't worry about it, you don't pray about it, you don't go to begging God about it, you just say, it's working. I said the mountain has to move, so guess what? It's moving in Jesus' name. Settled. A simple command. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. It says, he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. You wonder, is it God's will that I'm healed? He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. This will really help make some sense in just a moment to you, what this looks like, really. So the first thing was forgiveness of sin. Number two was healing. Number three. What did Jesus purchase? He escorted them out of Egypt loaded with silver and gold. Jesus made atonement and gave us freedom from the curse of poverty. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 9, look at this. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel in the gracious act of giving. Say giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing to see how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So hold on. Say giving. 
So Paul, this is in 2 Corinthians 8. If you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is literally taking up an offering, right? So the, why is that important? Because you need to identify what he's saying here. Is Paul, in context, is he talking about spiritual riches? No, he's taking up an offering. He's talking about money right here. Look at this. You know how generous, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Does it say that Jesus was poor? It says he became. What is the Bible? Does, Je- does the Bible say that Jesus just forgives our sins? No, it says he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here's here's kind of my point in saying that. In the old covenant, when they got ready to make atonement for sin, as I said, they'd take an animal, they'd place their hands on that animal, and they, in the spirit, they would believe this, that whatever sin, whatever things in me, on me, do to me, it's transferring over to this animal. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So they would transfer it to that animal, and they would shed the animal's blood in place of the person that it was due to. So when the Bible says this, it, Jesus... Our sin was placed on him, and he paid for it. So basically, in the spirit, God put his hands on Jesus. He didn't just forgive our sins. He transferred our sin. He became sin for us and then shed his blood, paid the price for sin. Not only did he do that with sin, God put every disease that's known to man Put it on Jesus, transferred it. The disease that belongs to you, the disease that belongs to me. You know, the, the, the world says that there's about 39 different root causes of all sickness and disease. Did you know that? That there's about 39 different roots that all sickness and disease can be traced back to 39 different roots. How many stripes did Jesus take? He took 39. He took a stripe for every source of sickness and disease. The curse that came on man, the disease and sickness that's due to you, due to me, God took it, transferred it on Jesus, and nailed him to a cross, paying the price where he took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. So not only was our sin placed on him and he paid for it, not only was our disease placed on him and he paid for it, it says he became poor. God transferred poverty onto Jesus. He became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The curse of poverty was placed on Jesus and he paid for it. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. You know, that's not only the curse that comes when you disobey the law. You can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. What is the curse of our wrongdoing? That's when Adam sinned in the beginning. Y'all following me this morning? There was no 
There was no sickness. There was no sin. There was no school shootings happening. There was no poverty. There was no lack. When Adam sinned, the world in Genesis 3 came underneath a cursed system. Christ took upon that curse for our wrongdoing. Now all of a sudden, sin and death is due to us because of sin. We've sinned and the the wages of sin is death. Because we've sinned and because we're underneath this curse, we deserve to be sickness. That's, that we deserve to be sick. That's just a part of it. We deserve to live under the curse of poverty. Yet he took it on himself. He took on the curse for our wrongdoing, and he paid the price for it. Hallelujah. Now, do you see that in Psalms 105? He saved us. He escorted them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. The full gospel message in two verses. Hallelujah. I'm telling you right now that if this, you got to let this get a hold of your life. This will change everything. You know, because when you, Christians will go to bat all day long for their salvation. But when you realize that he paid a price for, as we just said, healing and freedom from the curse of poverty, you won't accept anything less. You know, if the devil tried to come to you, and if, if this happens, then it's just a maturity thing. You'll mature as you gain more revelation of the word of God. But if, if the devil tried to come to you and say, you're not saved, you would say, devil, you're a liar. I'm sa- I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I'm forgiven. And you'll back the devil down. But when, why do we allow him to bring these other areas when it comes to sickness and disease and poverty and the curse. And we just play games with it instead of standing on the word of God and saying, no, that's not my portion and it doesn't belong to me and I don't have to have it. Very simply, I refuse. You know, we brought Brother Timothy Dixon here while I'm talking about healing. And he was here for Easter. And he talked about the Passion Week, and he talks about the crucifixion process and, you know, and how Jesus, he went on to really vividly, I know the Passion of the Christ, if you've ever seen that, it's very graphic, it, it, it's, I mean, it just moves you, you just, you see this being played out, you're not just reading it on a page, but it was actually even worse than what was portrayed in that movie, because in that movie, Jesus was just tied up, but really, when Jesus was whipped, they would have tied his hands down to about where his feet were so that his whole back was just pulled tight. The skin on his back just completely pulled. I mean, you could have took a butter knife and cut it. That's how tight he was pulled. And then they took that whip that had lead, that had bones, that had things, and it would dig into him and just shred him to pieces. And it says in Isaiah 53.5, he was wounded. By his stripes, I am healed. He was wounded, beaten so that we could be whole. Whenever I just got that mental picture, you know what it made me do? It made me hate sickness and disease. I like Jesus paid such a high price for my healing. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to ever let the devil convince me that this belongs to me. So... Here's the question now. We've, we've broke down these three atonements. How do we walk in these three atonements? I'm going to get moving because I've got a lot more I want to cover. How do we walk in these three atonements? 
You can write this statement down if you'd like. The Lord gave us ways to habitually walk in all three atonements. There's things that the Lord instituted in his word that he told us to habitually, say habitually, basically means out of habit, constantly, continuously, routinely do to walk in these three atonements. So let's cover the first two. What did the Lord tell us to do to constantly walk in the atonement of the shedding of his blood, forgiveness of sin, and then healing in our bodies? What, what did he give us? He gave us communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, it's, it, it's through communion and the Lord's Supper that, that Jesus instituted this for us to walk in forgiveness of sin and healing. We read that in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30. I received from you what I, uh, I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed and took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after, saying, uh, after supper, saying, This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Think about that. As often as you do it, you're proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. Basically, you're announcing to God, to the devil, to the world, this is what Jesus paid for and this is what I'm walking in until he returns again. Therefore, whoever eats of this bread or drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and let him so that he will eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Say the body. The body purchased our, say healing. So because they were not discerning the Lord's body, that word discerning means make distinction and separation. He says they were not discerning. They weren't making distinction, separating. They, they weren't understanding what Jesus did with his body. For this reason, many are weak, many are sick among you, and many sleep. Many have died, other translations say. So basically, let me sum it up here. What Paul was saying is because many Christians in the Corinthian church, they understood the blood. They had no problem being saved and forgiven, but they were not making distinction of the Lord's body. And for that reason, they were weak when they didn't have to be weak. They were sick when they didn't have to be sick, and some even died when they didn't have to die. we got to stop saying stuff like that. Well, when the Lord's ready, he'll call me home. No, with long life, I will satisfy you. Psalms 91. Say long life. Man, you know, the Bible promises a man up to 120 years. You say... You know, you don't, you don't just have to die whenever. The devil doesn't get to decide that. You say, what if I want to live past 120 years? Will I just die? Well, I believe God and his word. I believe that when you get to 120, if you, may, if you live that long and you want to live that long, you'll get to 120 and say, I'm satisfied, Lord, and you'll go home and be with the Lord. Amen. You'll be satisfied. Basically, satisfied means when I decide, just like Jesus said, no one can take my life, the Son gives it freely, but nobody can take it from me. Do you understand that we stand in the same place of authority as Jesus Christ? 
If the devil couldn't kill him, he can't kill you and he can't kill me. Many great men and women of God, when they died, they were satisfied. Kenneth Hagin put a suit on, went and sat down at his kitchen table and told his family he loved them and then went upstairs to take a nap and went home to be with the Lord. He wasn't sick. He, you know, he didn't have, in fact, he had been healed from heart problems as a child and that for two days his heart, they actually took him to the hospital because he was gone, but for two days his heart kept beating. But he wasn't, he wasn't here. It was like even the manifestation of healing that he had received kept beating even after he was gone. <laughs> Because the Lord healed him as a, as a child. I'm telling you, you need to get a hold of this. So you don't have to be weak. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to die. He gave us the Lord's Supper, the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. We can walk in those atonements. In fact, the early church understood this. This is why in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That means the early church, they did this every day when they were meeting, they were taking of the Lord's Supper. What were they doing? Announcing his death till he comes back. As long as I'm on this earth, I'm walking under the blood. As long as I'm on this earth, I'm walking free from weakness, sickness, and death because of what Jesus purchased with his body. Hallelujah. Okay, so that's the first two. How, we, 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 through communion, we walk in the atonement of forgiveness of sin and healing. Are you all still with me this morning? Okay, so what about the last one? There was three atonements, the last one being prosperity. So here's the question, how do we access prosperity? How do we walk in the atonement of prosperity? Write this point down this morning, and if you know this, this is just a good recap for you, and it's good to get it in your spirit and to understand why we do what we do. Number one, we access prosperity through giving. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Through giving. So again, the Lord instituted the church. He told them, do this frequently, do this constantly, to walk in under the blood and to walk in healing, which was purchased with his body. So in regards to giving, what did the Lord institute that would cause us to give habitually? Can you say the tithe? The Lord instituted habitual giving for us to constantly walk in the atonement of prosperity. The question is, what is this habitual giving that we do? It's the tithe. That's why the Lord instituted the tithe in the church. Hallelujah. Let's talk about this a little bit. Malachi chapter 3, 8 through 12. My prayer is this. Number one, many of you, you are tithers. And so... A lot of people are tithers, but they don't even know why they're doing what they do. They just do it. They just do it because, you know, they're a good Christian. They love the Lord. They're told that that's what they're supposed to do, so they, they do it. That's great. I'm glad that you're doing that. But it's not enough just to do something. You have to have faith behind what you're doing. And, and you know, so many people, they don't walk in prosperity, and they don't see miracles in that realm in their life, and it's for a lack of knowledge that they're perishing. They just don't have a revelation about what it is they're even doing. And so, let's look at Malachi 3, 8 through 12. 
God says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Say the tithes. Let's talk about the tithes this morning. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring in all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I want you to say tithe. People say, well, you know, I tithe, and they, they kind of throw that word around. But what is a tithe? The word tithe literally means tenth. It means tenth. Say tenth. So what do we do with this tenth, this tithe? The Lord says, bring your tithe, bring your tenth to me. What is your tenth? Well, Look at Genesis 14, 18 through 20. You know, it's funny how the Lord will put things in your path because I've been planning on, we've been preaching on this for weeks. What is this, week number five or six? And, and we've been just building this foundation of you seeing undoubtedly through the word that the Bible teaches that you're to prosper. So the next question is how? How do I really access? What things can I do to access what the word says? And I've been seeing videos. I have a, a friend that he posted a video saying tithing's not for the New Testament church. And, I mean, it's crazy. I'm like, wow, never seen anything like that. And then two days before you, you're about to preach on it, you see all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, you'll hear people say, like, well, is tithing really for us? Wasn't tithing part of the law? No, actually it wasn't. Abraham tithed before the law of Moses. Abraham had a covenant of faith. He believed God, and God counted it unto him as righteousness. People say, well, it's not really a tithe, right? In order for it to be a biblical tithe, you have to give it to a Levite, and the Levites aren't around today. That's not instituted anymore. Therefore, the tithe, you know, it, it's not valid. It's not for today. Really? Because Melchizedek, who we're about to read, was not a Levite, and Abraham tithed to him. And if you study, I'm not going to get into it, in Hebrews chapter 7, Melchizedek was actually a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. The Bible says he was the, the prince of peace, Melchizedek, the prince of Salem, and that he had no beginning and no end. It was literally a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 7 talks about how now just like Abraham, we give tithes here on the earth to men, but in heaven the Lord receives them. So anyways, let's answer this question. What, what is this tenth? This is in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. In Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of the Most High brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Then look at this. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. Say all the goods. Okay. Abraham tithed before the law. Jacob tithed before the law. This is Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide with me food and clothing, 
And if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this is the memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And look what he says. I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Say everything. So Abraham presented Melchizedek a tenth of all of his goods. Jacob said, I'm making a covenant with God where I'll give him one-tenth of everything that he gives me. So here's the conclusion with this. A biblical tithe is when you give 10% of everything that comes into your hand. It's important for you to understand that. It's a financial covenant that you make with God where you say 10% of everything that comes into my hand. People try to do the craziest things where it's like, They'll make money here and there, and they're like, well, this portion's what I, you know. No, that you're, you're completely missing it. A tenth of everything that passes into your hand. Say everything. So, here's the question. Now that we understand what this tithe, this habitual giving, and that's the thing is we'll, we'll read about what happens when you enter that financial covenant. You're blessed. And as you're blessed, what do you do? You continue to give God a tenth of everything that comes into your hand. As you continue to give God a tenth of everything that comes into your hand, what's the promise? What happens? You access the atonement of prosperity. Hallelujah. So here we'll answer these questions. What happens when you enter into this financial covenant with God? What happens when you make a covenant and say, Lord, one-tenth of everything that comes into my hand? I'll give to you. Number one, what happens is this. Your money and property come out from under the curse on the earth. If you look at verse 9, it says this in verse 11. He said, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. So say a curse. So he said, you're underneath a curse. This is something that you have to realize. When you're born on this earth, you were born into a cursed system, right? Before you're born again, you're born on this earth, you're born into a cursed system. Does everybody understand that? That God, according to uh, Psalms chapter 8, God made the earth and he gave man complete dominion over the earth. The Bible says, do not let sin control you, for whatever you obey becomes your master. So man had all authority on the earth. He was the God of this world. Adam was the God of this world. And if that offends you, I'm telling you, please don't let it. Not God, capital G, God, little g, of this world. Adam named the birds and the fish and the sea. He didn't just name them. He told them what they were and what they were to do. What's amazing is God didn't make all the animals and then tell Adam what they were. No, God made the animals, gave man dominion over the whole earth, and then Adam went and said, you know what, that's a bird, and you fly, and it started flying, and he told God what it was, and he told God what its name was, and he told God what its purpose was. Isn't that amazing to think about? So man was in complete authority. The serpent came and deceived man, came and deceived woman. You know, the tree, did God really say that you should not eat from this tree? 
and, and, and she was deceived. She took the fruit, she ate it, she gave it to Adam, and he ate it, and they chose to obey Satan rather than what God said. So guess what happened when they obeyed Satan? Those keys of authority of the earth were transferred over, and whoever you serve becomes your master. Now the highest authority on planet earth, which was mankind, is now subject underneath Satan, Lucifer. So he becomes the highest authority on the earth. What does the Bible say? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So the earth was opened up to death, to steal, to kill, to destroy. Right? So when you were born, you were born into this cursed system. God says you're under a curse. But here's what you can do. Bring your tithes into the storehouse. If you do, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Basically what what he's saying here is when you enter into this covenant with God, that it will pull your life, it will pull your money, it will pull your finances out from underneath that curse that you were born into. Where now your finances, your life, your property, your money can operate in the same reality that you do as being a born-again believer. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. We are born in a cursed system. When Adam sinned, the earth became cursed. Our money operates in this cursed system. When we participate in the tithe, what he is saying here is that he will pull your money out from underneath that cursed system. Guess what that means? That means Satan loses the right to touch any of it. Hallelujah. We'll talk about that more. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer. What that basically is saying is Satan loses the right to touch your harvest. Satan loses the right to touch your property. I hope you all aren't sleeping through this because this could be the difference between your house getting destroyed by a hurricane and you be the only house standing on the entire block. If you believe what I'm saying. You know, we've done that. We've had reports come to this church where there's hurricanes because, I mean, guys, I live in New Mexico. Some of my New Mexico friends and family, they understand. We never worried about hurricanes in New Mexico. You move down here. I remember the the weekend we moved here, it was Hurricane Harvey, and it didn't stop raining for two months, literally like the week after we moved here. It's just hurricane, hurricane, hurricane. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what, what is this? What is going on? But we got report about a year and a half ago that a hurricane was coming up the Gulf and it was projected it was going to hit land it was going to come rip right through here and they were just saying it's going to be horrible devastating well we had prayer that Thursday night and we took authority we stood in our authority the same way that Jesus spoke to the storm and it stopped we stood in our authority and we commanded we said We commanded that storm to move, to turn, that it was not allowed to cross into our domain. It was not allowed to cross into this jurisdiction. That no house, no member's house of this church would be destroyed. This church would not be touched, that that storm had to move. And literally, we, after prayer, I remember we went to my mom's house. We started watching the news, and then I just, they just started talking so frantically. We don't know what's happening. It hit land and it totally shifted and went all and went like a hundred 200 300 400 miles away into another state and didn't touch us at all well guess what because we're in covenant with God the devil has no right to touch anything that belongs to us hallelujah so 
Your money and your property come out from underneath the curse of the earth. Let's ask this question. I need to, I need to hurry it up here. Why a percentage and not a number? So, again, a tithe is a percentage. It's not a certain number. Why did God institute, institute it as a percentage and not a number? So that every single person could access it. Right? If it was a certain amount of money, then some people wouldn't be able to up front access that. If the Lord said, I'll make a covenant, and whoever gives me $25,000 or thirty dollars or $40,000 will enter into this covenant, well, there'd be a lot of people that wouldn't be able to do that. Right? But the reason that he made it a percentage and not a specific number is when it's a percentage, you think about this. If it were a certain amount, some could not participate, but with it being a percentage, you can make anything from 10 cents to a million dollars. Hallelujah. You make 10 cents, you can give a penny of that 10 cents to the Lord and, and, and operate in this financial covenant with God. You make a million dollars, you could give $100,000 to the Lord, operate in this financial covenant with God. So I want you to get this point as well. When you give the 10, the 90 becomes blessed. Say it, say this, say, when I give the 10, the 90 becomes blessed. Hallelujah. So this is Romans eleven sixteen. Since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants were also holy. Look at this. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. The entire batch is holy because the portion given, given as an offering is holy. So when you take that 10% of whatever it is that, that God's put in your hand and you set it aside, holy means set apart, and you give it to the Lord, what it means is that other 90% that you have left comes out from underneath that cursed system. Hallelujah. That's so good right there. So here's the question, what happens when you enter into this financial covenant with God? We said your money and your property come out from underneath the curse. This also is kind of a point right underneath it. The devourer is rebuked from your life. He said, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. And then he went on to say, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he may not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Say, rebuke the devourer. I've heard so many testimonies of how this works. I was listening to Brother Copeland's network, and there was a pastor that came on that had a granddaughter that drowned in the pool last summer. He had a little granddaughter that was swimming around in the pool. She had long hair, and, and something happened, and the vent of the pool sucked her hair up, and she got pinned underneath the water and couldn't get out. He said he jumped in the water once they finally realized, and he had to use every bit of strength that he had to get this, this little girl out of the pool. And she was completely unresponsive. That literally minutes went by, the EMTs came, they start operating on her, they're listening, there's, there's no pulse, there's no life. And the father of that child spoke out of his mouth and said, this is impossible, I'm a tither, the devourer is rebuked from my life, and immediately life came into the little girl's body. Devil, you don't have a right to kill, to steal, to destroy anything that belongs to me, including my children, because I'm in a covenant with God, and the devourer is rebuked from me. Hallelujah. 
Praise you, Jesus. The devil don't get to kill, steal, or destroy your money, your assets, your property. The devil can't touch your harvest. Say that. Say, the devil can't touch my harvest. Praise you, Jesus. That means we get to be blessed and prosper, and there's nothing he can do about it. I don't care what Biden administration, what the economy, whatever plan they have, we will be blessed and prosper, and they can do everything that they could raise gas prices up to $15 a gallon, and guess what? We're still going to prosper because there's nothing they can do about the prosperity that belongs to the people of God. What else happens when you enter into this financial covenant with God? Finally, is this. You step into the atonement of prosperity. What do we need to do to habitually? Jesus became poor so that we would become rich. He took on poverty. The curse of poverty was transferred to him. He paid for it. So how do I walk in that atonement and walk in the abundance How do I walk in this place where the silver and gold that belongs to the world is transferred and stored up for the righteous? Say give. When you give, when you enter into this tithe, this 10% of everything that comes into your hand, you step into the atonement of prosperity. That's what he promises here. Bring the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my temple. And try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings. There will not be room enough to receive it. Hallelujah. Y'all, that ain't just God providing for you. That is such an abundance of provision that you don't have room to receive it. Either you believe the word or you don't. Give you something real practical here. What happens when you're a tither? If you're a tither, you can turn $1,000 into $3,900. <laughs> I believe, I don't know about you, I believe the word. I believe exactly what it says. Right? Say I have $1,000. If I give a God a tenth of $1,000, what does that mean? I give $100 of that, of that thousand. That means I have $900 left. Right? 900. Well, the Bible says the seed that fell on fertile soil went on to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. Paul referred to this in 2 Corinthians 9, that when we give, it's like a a farmer that sows his seed. If we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. We sow generously, we'll reap generously. And that we would receive a harvest according to what we gave, right? 30, 60, and 100 fold according to what we gave. You believe that? So, say you got that $100 that you give to the Lord. There's $100 out of that $1,000. Let's say the minimal, 30, it's multiplied 30 times over. That $100 turns into $3,000. So now I have 900 from that 1,000. That $100 seed just multiplied and turned into a $3,000 seed. Now I just turn $1,000 into $3,900. Yeah, maybe, maybe you should say, John, I'm skeptical about that. I'm not. I believe the word. And you know, when I sow seed, I stand behind it with faith and say, this is what's due to me according to the word of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to end with this this morning. Every instruction to give in the Bible is followed by a promise of overwhelming prosperity. You say, are we just making this up? No, this is God's key to walking in the atonement of prosperity. 
Every instruction to give is followed by an overwhelming promise of prosperity. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 10. If there's any poor Israelites in your town when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous, lend to them whatever they need, and do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. That's the Jubilee year. Hallelujah. I remember the sermon on Jesus was the Jubilee, that this is the year of double portion because this is the Jubilee because Jesus was the Jubilee. You remember that? Hallelujah. If you refuse to, to, to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. So he says this, give generously to the poor, not begrudgingly. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Give, and the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Then, say then, he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Malachi chapter 3, 10 through 12, we just read it. He said, I'll open up, bring your tithes to the storehouse. I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. Say abundant. I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. The Lord says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight says the Lord of heaven's armies. My land, say my land, will be a delight. Man, I live out on on 200 acres of land that needs a lot of work. And I look at that land and I picture myself. I say, one day, this will be the nicest land out of anybody that I know. Why? Because I'm in covenant with the most high God. I'm in a financial covenant. And I'm going to look out here with a big old smile on my face. My land will be a delight. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. But not only will you receive, your gift will return to you full. Say full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. 2 Corinthians 9, last verse. Paul said, so we got... Malachi saying it, we got Moses saying it, we have Solomon saying it, we have Jesus saying it, now we have Paul saying it. Remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously gets a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Let me tell you something this morning. Never give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Only give from a place of faith and revelation. Never make somebody bend your arm and make you feel like you got to do this. No. You, anytime you give, you need to give from a place of faith, expectancy. Oral Roberts taught seed faith. Whatever you need, you sow for it, and you stand on the laws of the kingdom and the word of God and receive everything that you need. So he says, what will happen when you give? It says God will generously give you all that you need. You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely, give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. 
For God is the one that provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase. Say increase. Your resources then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those that need them, they will thank God. You know, it's just like this never-ending cycle of prosperity. Why? Because he blesses you. You're in covenant. You give this portion set aside to him. It produces a harvest. You reap that harvest. Now you're more blessed than you were before, and you do it again and again and again, and God just sit, puts you on a path of never-ending increase. I want to be honest because, you know, there's seriously, there's messages and the older I get, the less I really care, to be honest with you. But there are messages that I like. I wish I could preach this message not being a pastor because I know what everybody thinks when you preach stuff like this. Am I telling you this because I want you to give something? No. I, I promise you that I'm not. I'm not wanting anything from you. I'm telling you this because it's the truth according to the word of God. It's the truth. And I can tell you that I fell under the deception for a few years Early in my life in ministry, you know, it's uh, tithing. Uh, we didn't really participate in that. And I can tell you guys that we struggled and we struggled and we struggled. Did we love Jesus? Yes, we love Jesus. Would I have died and went to heaven? Yes, I would have died and went to heaven. But yet, we were in the food box line. You know, we were over here ministering, and we had to go to the, to the food box place in, in Hobbs, New Mexico, to go get spaghetti to be able to eat. Did we love Jesus? Yes, we love Jesus, but we had no revelation to access what he purchased for us. And so we struggled. And I remember the, the year. We had already moved here, the year that God gave me, the, the, showed me. Through preaching and teaching in his word, this revelation I'm sharing to you, I'm not kidding you. In one year, according to tax record, we saw our income triple in one year. For one, for first year of marriage, down here, second year of marriage, I don't know if it was the third or third year or so, but then we got that revelation, two years exactly the same, got the revelation, put it to work, and in one calendar year, it tripled from the two years before that. You know why? Because the word of God is true. Hallelujah. Praise you. Can anybody in here testify to what I'm saying? If there's any skeptics, can anybody raise their hand and say, what John is saying is absolutely true. I've seen it in my own life. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. I want you to get expectant. I don't want you guys to be uh, giving people that just give, and you have no idea what you're doing, why you're doing it, and it's just part of No, get your faith set on things. We are going to end this. I'm going to pray over you. We're going to take up our tithes and offerings this morning. And, and genuinely, if you think like, this is a big message to push you to do something, then literally don't do anything today. I'm not telling you this because I want you to do anything. I'm telling you this because it's the absolute truth. And I want you to do this. Whatever you sow, you need to set your faith on receiving something. I want you to say, be specific. If it's not specific, then your faith can't even begin to work. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Say hope for. Can I tell you something? If you don't hope for anything, 
If you have nothing that you're believing to come into your possession, if you have nothing you're moving forward towards, your faith can't even begin to work. Because what your faith is, is the substance that comes behind what you're hoping for, what you're visualizing, what you see, and brings it into reality. So if there's nothing that you're hoping for, there's nothing for your faith to materialize. So yeah, get specific. Some of y'all, I'm telling you, you need to stop letting the devil eat your lunch. Do you need $1,000 a month more in income? You claim that $1,000 to come into your hand. What is it that you're needing? Are you needing a house? Does God care about that kind of stuff? You, you bet your butt he cares about that kind of stuff. As I've read it many times, I'll read it again. But what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? You made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything that you made, putting all things under their authority. So on the earth, whose authority is the earth under? Our authority. Y'all, I'm telling you, I'll never forget when the Lord spoke this and, and asked me, Where's the money at, John? That's what he asked me. Where's the money at? And I said, Lord, it's on the earth. He's like, you're right. It's not in heaven, is it? No, it's not in heaven. Is there any American dollars in heaven? No, there's not. Where's all the silver and gold? It's on the earth. If it's on the earth and we're in authority over it, what does that mean? We can call. We can bind. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. You tell it to come, it comes. You tell the mountain to move, and it moves because you have been restored to your place of authority. So can I give you the best advice of your life? Begin a, become a person that's a habitual giver to have a legal right to walk in prosperity and then begin to use your authority on this earth. Hallelujah. What do you need? What do you need? I'm telling you right now, when I'm doing stuff like this, if you have something you're believing for that you're in need of, you need to speak it out of your mouth. You don't got to scream it and shout it. You can say it. Speak it. Here's, here's another principle. If it's too big for your mouth, it's too big for your hand. Bishop David Oedepo said that. If, if it never comes out of your mouth, it'll never come into your hand. Y'all, uh, you know, i give you another example, a testimony. Y'all ready to praise God with us? We are sending our kids to Tampa. Uh, if, if you're looking around, you're like, dang, where's all of our youth kids? It's all these stinking kids graduating everywhere. They're all out of town. They graduations. I'm like, man, why couldn't everybody just fail? So you don't got to miss. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. But if you're ever here, you, you see that. You see these kids that are on fire for Jesus. They're, they're loving God. They're serving the Lord. They have ministries ro rolling in their school. We had a girl who's leading our children's church that this year in Lufkin High School, she prayed for a girl that had been bound in a wheelchair for three years, and the girl stood up out of a wheelchair and walked across the classroom. Hallelujah. Well, you know, on top of the labor that we put into people here. We took those kids last year to Tampa to Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's church, and they received the fire of the Holy Ghost. Marked them, changed them, called them, commissioned them. It's been amazing. And so this year, we're going back, and, and earlier on in the year, the Lord told me, he said, I never want you to do another fundraiser again. Never. Never want you to. And I said, Lord, what? Why? And he said, 
Why do you need to go stand on the road with a, a sign saying, cookies for church camp, you know, you're in covenant with me. What kind of testimony is that to the world? And so the Lord told me, he said, whatever you need, calculate the exact amount. We calculated it. It was $7,000. And he said, now, I want you to stand in authority, and I want you to speak and command that money to come in. And then release angels, according to Hebrews chapter 1. Release ministering spirits to go gather the harvest that's due to you and bring it into your hand. Call it forth. He said, don't pray about it. Call it forth. So we began to do that a couple of weeks ago. We began to call forth that $7,000. And I told y'all, we've had it just coming in, coming in, coming in. And if you were here last Sunday, I said it. I said, the Lord put it in my heart, and I've declared that by the end of this next week, we'll have that trip paid off in full. Anybody remember that? Well, Thursday, I got a text from a member that said, I'm going to give the last $1,300 that we need. And on top of that, I'm going to give several kids that need $100 spending money, spending money. So before the week was even over, the whole trip, $7,000 completely paid for. (laughs) Hallelujah. I want you to say, it works. Call it in. (laughs) And if you've already called it in, then don't keep calling it in and keep, you know, praying. No, you just every time, it's working. It's working. I want you to say, it's working. If you've believed for that increase in your life, say, it's working. If you're believing for a house, Timothy, say, it's working. If you're believing for a car, I want you to say, it's working. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.